Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That kid is back on the escalator again. Leave it alone. What? Comics. Who are you? I'm Batman. TV and movies. Wrestling. And Music. We are just A podcast about things you actually care about, hosted by a couple of guys who actually care about those things, too. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Maybe a little too much. Yes. That's awesome. The talented one, Chris Machete. That no-talent ass clown became famous. And Brenton, you know, that guy from your other favorite podcast. I liked it. I was good at it. So grab onto the handrail and don't let go. This is the Kids on the Escalator podcast. Here's CM and BD. It's the Kids in the Escalator podcast with my co-host, Chris Machete. How are you today? Cheers. I'm doing well, my friend. Thank you. How are you doing? Uh, Great. You know, I'm uh, cold, though. You guys got the heat today. We're we're minus two and snowing, so. I'm cleaning up the yard and staring at the neighbors. It's good times. Joined again for uh, two weeks in a row. Uh, here to collect his royalty check off of the intro. Mike Pongratz, how you doing, yeah. buddy? Mike. Hey, I gotta, I gotta earn my my keep somehow. Uh, it's great to be back. I had so much fun last week. Thanks for inviting me back, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to our little get together today. And I see we've expanded as well by, by one more body. Chris Machete brought a guest and just meeting him for the first time, even though I've done a whole bunch of shows with him that he don't, that he wouldn't remember. Chris, who'd you bring today? We brought Jeff Pierce, the bass player and one of the principal songwriters from the band Moist. Dun, dun, dun. Gentlemen, how, how are, are you, you all? Awesome. Awesome. Doing good, buddy. Doing good. Jeff's a fellow uh, Kingstonian or Kingstonite. What do we call ourselves, Jeff? I think Kingst- Kingstonian is correct, I believe. Kingstonian, all right, right yeah. on, right on. Yeah, uh, Jeff's uh, in the neighborhood. I'm newer here than Jeff is, but uh, we met through the public school and we hit it off well. Uh, Jeff's a rad dude. We both like uh, rock music and we both like Star Wars and, and pop culture. So it's, uh, it's it's been cool, eh, Jeff? Absolutely great. Yeah, great getting to know you. It's, it's actually been really awesome since you moved into the neighborhood, Chris. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be doing this today. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for coming along. Right on. Welcome aboard. Uh, this is a brand new podcast. We're only a couple episodes in, but we're trying to cover off, you know, some fun shit. So mm-hmm. uh, we're hanging today. Mike has joined us again here. And, um, uh, Mike, and Mike, 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 you did the voice for a Transformer. Which Transformer was it? Transform. Uh, no, did I do? I did Transformer commercials. A commercials. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah I, I did a lot of uh, a lot of toy stuff. Nice. Uh, sort of earlier on in in the old career right um but yeah transforms that was a very cool one because uh, that was one of sort of the, the the first major toy chains that i got to uh to do stuff nice. for. what, what, what I, did you do for it for that like did you did oh. announce it or did you do an actual voice for one of them or something no 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 it was just the actual like shilling it's like that old saturday morning you know when we were growing up mm-hmm. i mean you'd watch the cartoons you know saturday mornings and the commercials were always like buy this buy yeah. this and, and we did and you know 30 years later now i get to be that guy shilling except there's no more saturday morning cartoons which you know 
kind of sucks but yeah no it's it's cool man it's uh i would have loved to i did i did star wars commercials too which i think back that was like one of the coolest sort of first thing i think was for air hogs was like a an actual x-wing air hog thing that you could fly and i remember doing the commercial thinking i want one of these because this is like so well that was my next question did you get free did you get free toys from them no, no. Most most of the time, I had to buy anything that I did. Yeah. Which uh, I mean, I have a whole bunch of like boxes of air hogs that are still in box that my kids, when they were younger, wanted to play with, and I wouldn't let them because I'm that dad. Like, no, 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 no. That's going on dad's shelf. Right. You know, nice. You want it? You play? You buy yourself. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's right a good, that's a, interesting point to that, Mike. I, I actually I want to find out then. So you you did you know the commercials, mm-hmm. and then you. Um, worked for the wwe and got a check which was yeah, which that was, was a dream which was an it's still in my grade eight uh, picture of like what i want to do which is work for wwe not anymore but that was then um so going around the horn here then to stick it to that point mike were those two giant moments for you or was there a moment that that eclipsed that and then chris and then jeff i'll, I'll come to you guys on as far as oh man are you talking are you talking career yeah, just like, that moment like where you, geez i just did a star wars commercial i just did a i just I, did a this commercial I, what was i mean i think back to like the first like the very very first national commercial that i ever did was for i think it was for t-mobile in the states and it was for uh, samsung phones and it was a beyonce commercial mm-hmm. so it was beyonce and then i was like the little voice at the end and that was cool in itself but even cooler was the fact that where i recorded that commercial was in uh, in toronto uh the uh sutton place hotel uh old old school hotel at the uh, the base of the hotel there used to be a studio um it was called the vault because it was built inside an old bank and the recording booth was inside an old vault and the guy who owned the studio and i didn't know this until the day i went there was a guy by the name of doug paulson 50 points if anybody can tell me who doug paulson is can't jeff i can't either that name ring it rings a bell i can't recall though he hosted uh, a bunch of TV shows in Canada growing up, but the one that he was probably the most famous for was, uh, now I can't remember the name of it. It was- <laughs> Match uh, Game. Uh, Match Game. Uh, no, no, it was it was where you would write in your uh, uh, what your biggest wish was. Uh, now I'm, I'm drawing oh, geez, a Mike. complete- now you gotta now you gotta play the, uh, you gotta put the prices right, oh. the prices right. Now it's killing me. Uh, but it was it was one where you you would write in like who like what's your biggest dream or make your wish come true or whatever mm. and he was the host of it and I remember as a kid that I wrote in because I wanted to meet Bobby Orr and the when I told him I'm like oh my god you were from this show and and he goes yeah he goes were you one of the kids that wanted to meet Wayne Gretzky or Bobby Orr because I guess that's what every kid uh, back then Canadian kids. To do. So, that's what it was. So for me, that moment, like that whole, pro- like that was the coolest thing up until I got to say, yeah, like the, you know, the WWE stuff, uh, getting to work on the uh, Edge and Christian show that totally reeks of awesomeness. That that ranks like super, super high for like an old wrestling nerd like me and uh, and sort of getting to to sort of write stuff and, and sketches and then being at WrestleMania and taping these sketches with guys like Shawn Michaels and I'm sitting there as we're reading through my rough script and they're doing their part. And I'm just like sitting like, yeah, this is the greatest thing in the world. 
you know, and Sean's like, this is about the funniest thing I've done in a long time. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Michaels. So yeah, that was, that's, that's probably my coolest sort of like career wise, which is funny because it's not even really voice over. It's more sort of like an offshoot of that, but Jeff, anyway, so that's cool. it. Jeff, what was yeah. that moment for you, man? Yeah. There's been a few of them actually, but uh, <clears throat> I think probably the moment was, uh, it was kind of early into the into the first record success and we uh we played a show in montreal and we thought there was going to be man maybe something like maybe 10 10 or twenty thousand people i think is what had been estimated and one hundred twenty-five thousand people showed up nice. to this show and uh i remember looking our dressing room was in the at the top floor of a hotel that was right above where the where the show was they, they closed off st Catherine street in montreal and, and set up the stage there and I remember looking out there and just seeing people for as far as you could see and and having a moment of if if my if my 17 year old self could have seen where I would go through all of that stuff, um, I would have thought I'd made some pretty good decisions, probably. It's a moment when you get it, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> hmm? For you, sir. Mine's right now because we're going to talk about the Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh, how's that for a segue was that a good segue, segue. Okay, so by, so. by the way by the way uh thrill of a lifetime was the name of the show oh there you go thrill of a lifetime thrill of a lifetime dig that one up on the old mike's YouTube. got a consistent producer at his house that just looks up shit for him all the time. <laughs> that, that's my old school radio background it was like because when i i worked as a producer for a morning show for a bunch of years in hamilton and that was one of those things when they would talk about something it's like oh god scramble to try and find the answer because otherwise i'd get yelled at afterwards but so we're here to talk about the passenger the new episode yes. of the mandalorian so too so too um it's it's been uh it's interesting it's kind of dividing some people I'm seeing, um, yeah, which, which is, is weird, which is going between pushing the story forward, which Chris will touch on. And, and the, it was a little too, uh, campy for children because there wasn't any prog, you know, coming out of Boba Fett and then, and now it's the, the frog lady and it's, it's kind of cute and bubbly and it's like an Indiana Jones episode. I'm reading that side of it, but then I'm right. So I'm getting all, all sorts of it, but I, I counter them with, well, Chris came back to me with some really great points. So, what did we think? Go ahead, go around the table. Let's start with Chris. Okay. So a lot of people are saying it's like a, a filler episode, like you would get on an album, you know, a filler song or whatever. And I didn't agree with that. I think it's setting up what's going to happen next. Like how funny would it be if that was all we saw of, of Boba Fett? If they didn't show him again and then they launch, cause they're going to launch his own series, right? But how funny would it be if that's all we got of Boba Fett or until like the very end? But what they're doing is they're launching up for the next episode. Cause we got some, we got some stars coming in eventually here. And there's the whole, uh moff gideon angle that we haven't touched on yet like i would think they'd, they'd have to clean that up before they would get fully into boba fett uh just because it's lingering from season one and also because of the, the guest stars that we have coming up now they're going to uh was uh the moon they're going to and i had uh trask the moon of trask which they are definitely going to run into it looks like sasha banks character right who is going mm -hmm. to be uh, i i it's uh it's sabine because uh, Katie Sackoff is set to be Bo-Katan. Now, who is Bo-Katan and who is Sabine? Sabine, they are Mandalorians <laughs> from the original Mandalorian planet. They would be the ones who would be going after the Dark Saber, okay? Um, if they're not, that's pretty strange. Um, very much am I looking forward to seeing Sasha Banks. 
I haven't seen her um, act in anything really at this height. And this could be, Mike, you could back me up. I think this is her first big role, correct? I think so, yeah. So I'm looking forward to I saw a, a, a shot of her. Um, and it looks really, really cool. So this whole thing that they're setting up, I thought this was more of a setup uh, episode. I was going to go on about the white knuckle spiders and how they relate to Empire Strikes Back and everything, but I thought I... I, I that's funny, because I'm going to bring that okay, up good, Okay, yeah. okay. So I, I, I'm not going to... What Instead, I was going to focus on what this whole journey is going to take them to and where it's going to lead to. Um, because I think we're headed to some really big stuff, especially with the whole Mandalorian lore coming out here. Uh, there's many things that, that we could develop, we could dive into here with the Mandalorian lore. Uh, the main thing though is getting that dark saber, I think. And we have two pivotal characters about to emerge. So we're going to see Bo-Katan. We're going to say, we're going to see Sabine and it's going to be Katie Stackhoff, who's already listed as playing uh, Bo-Katan, who is the older of uh, the Mandalorians, both females, obviously. And then uh, Sasha Banks coming in. It looks like she might be in sooner than later which is really, really cool. And her character is known for graffiti, uh, which we've seen a lot of in episode one of season two, all that graffiti on the walls. So that's what uh, Sasha Banks' character is, is going to probably be known for. So I could see her being uh, Sabine, and, and she's a great character. Really fun, uh, strong Mandalorian, this is the way character. So that's what I think we're heading up to, is, is ramping up to the next episode there. So I focused on that. Um, whoever wants to go next. Well, I'll I'll jump in. Uh, my I, I'm kind of in that sort of same camp as as you, Brent. In that, I found this episode. It wasn't so much it was a letdown, but it was more of a <sighs> filler is a good word for it. But I think for for the diehard fans coming off of episode one, it was like, wow, holy shit, that's Boba Fett, or could be Boba Fett. We don't know. Could be a clone. And then to come back from that to this. Uh, sort of single episode that we talked about in the last uh, the last episode is is how last season the one thing that a lot of fans of the show were a little down on was that it was it got a little bit too compartmentalized over the weeks like you would have these single standalone episodes that didn't seem like they were pushing the narrative forward enough and if they were it wasn't pushing it enough uh, pushing it far enough this was kind of one of those episodes but I gotta say I loved a lot of the um, the Easter egg sort of things that were coming out of this episode. So, whereas I was kind of like, eh, it's, it, we're not seeing Boba Fett. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, but there was a lot of stuff in there that, you know, I'm watching, I'm like, Oh snap. That's, you know, and I enjoyed that part of the episode. And like you were talking about Chris, uh, the, the, the spiders, <laughs> the, the cricken, uh, the cricken, the uh, which, um, that was something that was originally designed for uh, Empire Strikes Back uh, on Yoda's planet Dagobah. Mm. And that was like a Ralph McQuarrie sort of envisioned type thing. And uh, in reading over like the, you know, sort of the reviews of the episode this week, uh, uh, Noel Murray in the New York Times uh, had, a, had a, sorry, New York Post had a really great quote. He was talking about uh, the episode. What makes this episode so fun is it feels like playtime. This is Reed, Favreau, the cast and crew having a blast dreaming up cool Star Wars scenes and making them look as polished and realistic as a Ralph McQuarrie painting. It's pure pulp made with love and care. And that's kind of what I got out of this episode. There was another sort of layer of that whole um, love to the Star Wars, you know, the fan, um, 
but again, going back to that sort of old school serialized one episode, we got a, a baddie, got like this one sort of side quest, which also throws back to the whole Knights of the Republic that we were talking about last week with the game. It's just, it was like a side quest, you know, you're, you're, you're going on as Revan, but there's a little side quest here that we're going to do. And uh, we got some really, really cool um, Easter eggs and surprises as far as even characters that showed up and and cameos that uh, I, I guess we could talk about after too but uh there was lots i know yeah. yeah jeff yeah so i mean for me um the 10 year old star wars critic in my house that i that i watched the episodes with he was kind of <laughs> like i'm gonna take something from him he said okay episode one they were fighting a monster episode two they're fighting another monster it was kind of that that a bit of a letdown there but for me for me, the main thing about that episode that was so great was the arrival of the Rebels. In the X, when those X-Wing fighters pulled up alongside the ghost ship, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, my God. Like, we've been watching Mandalorian now for, well, ever since last January, and we haven't seen X-Wing fighters yet driven by Rebels or Resistance. I can't remember where it is in the timeline. The New Republic. The I New Republic, is. okay. Right. That, that, but that for was... me, that was, that was the, the, the kicker for me. That made my 10-year-old self, for me, because I remember the first time I saw an X-Wing fighter in 1977 and, and how amazing that ship was. And to finally see those ships again was a big throwback for me. And I loved it. I thought that the whole sort of New Republic, the way they, they, they you know, they let them go a little bit too easily in the episode. Um, but it was, I just, I loved that moment. I, I mean, it was, again, there's a bit of disappointment because you have to wait. We had to wait from the end of season one with the whole Darksaber thing. And we're like, okay, waiting. Okay, yeah. come on with the second season. We haven't heard anything about that dark saber again yet, and then the end of of season two, episode one, with the reveal of Boba Fett or the clone, but we all know it's Boba Fett. It's the guy who played him in, or the guy who played Jango Fett uh, originally. So it makes sense mm-hmm. that it would look like him. And then they left that as a cliffhanger too. So now it's like cliffhanger after cliffhanger, and this episode didn't do anything with those things at all. Just sort of it was like forgot that they even existed. Yeah. But the but the X wings kind of made up for Not that. Not to mention, one of the cool. X wings was flown by uh, Appa from Ken's Convenience. Yeah, and the other oh, guy was Dave Filoni, right? All son, Young Lee, <laughs> yeah, right. and so. Dave Filoni. I was going to say that was that. I'm watching this. I'm like, oh my god, it's him! <laughs> you know, and and the uh, there's uh, there was an interview that um, I think he did with CBC where he talked about um, doing this and how this all came about, which I thought was really cool. Is that um, Paul Sun Hyung Lee is actually a, a huge cosplayer and had cosplayed as a rebel trooper guy. And I, I, I forget how the, the Filoni connection came in, but um, he, he had him come down and they did, uh, they did sort of like a, a wardrobe test with him and they were still painting his rebel helmet for the episode. So they just grabbed one out of the old, you know, warehouse of, of old Star Wars stuff. And he was, he knew right away, he got Biggs's helmet from the original Star Wars as the one that they tested, uh, tested his wardrobe with. And he's like, I literally started to cry because like, as a kid, this is like the greatest thing in the world. So I I thought it was really cool that they're, they're doing that. They're sort of, they're bringing fans like actor fans of the, of the original movies into this show and again which gives it that whole feel of like oh you know this is by fans for fans and uh i was i was 
I was very, very pleasantly surprised that uh, that he was one of the the rebels in this. The X-Wing scene was shot really well, too, I thought, graphic-wise and just going through the clouds. And I just, it was very, very entertaining. Um, Mike, I, yeah. I like, I like your point, too, Chris, and the point about um, the, how it looked. And I think that was the yeah, one, thing, really one thing for me is it looked, it looked great, and it was almost like they were playing within that universe. But, um, Chris, Chris you, you have some, you know, some factual stuff in there that would push this thing forward for this is the hard, way hardcore yes hardcore okay, well, the, fans. the thing so that i mentioned about how time. yeah so i'm gonna draw uh, some mandalorian knowledge here folks I here, so sound, i thought you had some sound i i got a well yeah we got like, can you hear that bring it closer to the mic it's it's you know this what is it is big, it's big budget shit here this is the big budget thing is it's it's one of these <laughs> oh my yeah, it's one of those Beauty. I have it. I have it right beside the microphone. So that's that's my Take sound effects thing. Man, take the legs out. That's so many cool things. This is the way. This. this is the way. This is the way. Drop that Mandalorian knowledge. On okay. Us. So, does anybody like? You must wonder who had the dark saber before Moff Gideon. Like, because like, this is the sword of the Mandalorians. This represents the Mandalorians. This should be so important to Mando once he realizes this is out there, maybe like one thing we haven't had is his interaction or his reaction to the dark saber. So where I was discussing earlier about how they were heading to uh, the moon of Trask and we're going to get some new female characters in. These were the last two female characters. These are the last two characters to have the dark saber. Okay. So Bo-Katan and Sabine, they were the last two to have it. Um, Sabine gave it to Bo-Katan and uh, I think Bo-Katan kept it, but they were together in the same group. So the thing is, is that they are coming to get the Darksaber. They have to be. They have to be. That is like, you know, the original, but there's only one Darksaber ever made. And what it meant back before for the planet Mandalore um, was that whoever held it led all of the Mandalorians, okay? Now, there was a group that banded together, and they were called Death Watch, and they wanted to bring back the old Mandalorian way to the planet. And it was not a peaceful way. So this should all tie into these two new characters, okay? Um, check out uh, anything you can find on, on YouTube, of course. You can, you can break it down to watch just their characters. They were on uh, the Rebels cartoon and the Clone Wars cartoon. And very, very interesting stuff. If you're into the background of the Darksaber and the whole myth of the Mandalorians and their... Uh, their, their rage and how they want to get things back to the way it was. You have to watch these to understand what is coming because it should be, these two girls should be pretty ticked off and it should be against the empire is, is the way it's shaping up. Now, this is just me predicting kind of a bit what's going to go on. All right. So that's a Mandalorian Lord. The two new characters should be going after the dark saber, the dark saber, as Jeff mentioned, and it should be a very, very important thing that we need to get to story-wise. Again, I wouldn't be surprised, man. We don't see Boba Fett again until the very end or something, man. Like, what a, what a trick to play on everybody, right? Um, but we'll see. So there's your Mandalorian knowledge. Do some Googling, some YouTubing, watch some classic stuff, get some knowledge in there. So when you're watching, you're like, aha, I get this. Here we go. It's all the layers to this show. I mean, this, it's, it's really hitting um, a bigger cross section than I think a lot of the uh, even you know, sort of the prequel uh, sort of the sequel films and even some of the, the animated shows I think this is this is really it's it's hitting enough for the hardcore fans for the fans that 
sort of went when Return of the Jedi was done. And then you had the Timothy Zahn books uh, and all the expanded universe uh, material. And then you've also got have have stuff for, you know, just the, the casual fan that's, oh, I know Star Wars from, you know, the last 10 years. No, I've watched the movies every week and on Showtime here in Canada or Showcase. They'll play it nonstop. Um, so I think that's the the real nice thing that that John Favreau is really crafting here is he's crafting a a, a series or a show that uh, it has enough points to satisfy everybody. Uh, my concern is that he's really, to your point, Chris was, you know, we had the Dark Saber and Moff Gideon. Well, what about that? We got to solve. Now we've got. Boba Fett, and so now we've got all these other. Ahsoka is going to come in, yeah, and now yeah. how? There's all these extra. Like maybe they're maybe they're just using this season to sort of set up season three, which we already know is 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 greenlit. And mm. I mean, so maybe they're playing a really really long game with this. Um, I just I'm I'm in I'm in it for the ride. Yeah. Like it really it really is. Uh, it's a it's a quick. This episode was was fairly short. I think it was only forty minutes oh, yeah. uh, compared to last the last week's episode. Mm. Uh, but it really it it flies along, and there's a lot of again. It's it's the nuggets for me that I'm really digging. Uh, like even right at at the beginning of the episode when uh, when Mando is is trying to get back to uh, get back to uh, Moss Eisley, and he's ambushed. And the you know you see Nikto, which again throwback to Return of the Jedi, and Tito was was the little guy that took the the rocket uh, the backpack up and dropped. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and Tito's from the Force Awakens, so, you know, sort of like the uh, the beginning on uh, Jakku. So right. those right. kind of little things, I thought you know that's the stuff that again if it's if it's an episode that seems like it's dragging, there's still something for me to be like, aha ha, that's cool. Yeah. like I'm I think that's amazing. Peyton Reed, who directed this episode, did an amazing job with this. He did Ant Man. Right? That's right. And I thought it was kind of neat that Dr. Mandible was kind of ant like, mm-hmm. just a little bit. So, and they were playing Sabak oh, or yeah, Sabak. I like playing that in the yeah, video games. I actually watched Solo uh, last, well, not this weekend, the weekend passed, and I forgot how, how cute that little thing was what's this game it's sabak mm-hmm. no it's sabak which plays into the old billy d williams han solo or han solo we're gonna get jeff back in a minute we lost him uh oh did we lose Kingstonian jeff internet chris is hogging it all on his side of the city so jeff will be back in a bit um, it takes a lot to power this place man um I know. do you guys think that there's uh, i mean this i know this is probably a <laughs> simple question to answer but um the pressure to your point, Mike and Chris, about there's so many things that they got to cover. So the first Mandalorian, you know, was going to be criticized regardless. All the first season was going to be either criticized or oh, people yeah. were going to look at it and go, man, they got this right, they got that right. But I didn't hear any complaints about it. Now we're into the second part. So now we're going to be breaking it down to this point of like, oh, they forgot this, or they forgot that. And I guess that's the ride. Does Favreau have, how much pressure does Favreau have right now to get this right? Yeah, he's probably got a lot. I am. Um, I, I don't think he can do any wrong though. The way he's, the, if he, well, I guess it depends. If he keeps a calm, if he keeps his mind calm about, it, he's gonna just keep doing the way he's doing, and it should be great. If he starts getting a lot of pressure, and he starts, you know, George Lucas is visiting, and he's trying to impress this person, impress, he might fall straight. But I think he's cool as a cucumber. He's cool as a Mandalorian, man. And I think uh, 
that he's I think he's going to maintain. But yeah, he'll be there. You're always under Mike. So I see people doing uh, videos on on the, mis the mystic meaning between uh, Baby Yoda and those eggs. Right. I just thought it was a cute thing. And he liked to eat them. It's you know, it could be more. But that was funny, though. That was some funny that was shit. Well, the look on his face when he sees it was almost like it was almost like when the guy sees the girl on the beach and they slow it down and the dramatic music comes on and he's like, whoa, those <laughs> eggs, right? That's I thought it was just a funny thing. He eats frogs, he eats eggs. You know, it's, that's what they eat on his home planet. Um, on a side note, you know, the, can the cancel culture has come calling for them because uh, <laughs> all the hardcore vegan people are like, oh, you know, you guys wrote this in here and, and he's eating a species that's oh, going to be geez. eliminated from the planet, this fake planet you've created idiots anyways that's how it's, oh, it's, it's insane but right maybe now. maybe that was like a real deep level favreau you know <laughs> uh uh sort of uh woke kind of yeah. uh, whatever uh, it is scene yeah. it was like you know like we're, we're eating we're eating like in real life we're we're eating these animals that are going to be extinct and because we just can't resist like there there's probably a segment of the audience that is really going, going that nuts. deep in you it. can see it i just Jeff, what do you think I, you're back with us now yeah, we've got you we've got you back i see guitars i see tools way cooler basement than i got <laughs> yeah my basement's a, a bit of a mess uh you know i think the uh I, I actually I saw some of the stuff too about people being upset about about uh, <laughs> about baby Yoda the child eating these eggs, um, but he wasn't eating. They were unfertilized eggs. You know, they weren't they weren't uh, they weren't beings. Yet. He could be just storing them so, in his belly, right? Like, he didn't chew them. Well, it's possible too, and he's got to eat. We don't know. He's fifty years old apparently, mm -hmm. so he uh, he knows what he likes, and we haven't seen. Uh, Mando, we haven't seen Mando really feeding him yet, and you know the child's got to eat. So, so uh, take it yourself. I, I wasn't, I wasn't too bothered no, by me it. Neither. I think it could also be a Favreau thing with a, you know, tying into his whole chef <laughs> persona and the uh, the moving the moving feast that is the uh, the, the his chef world as mm -hmm. well. I, I think it's I think it's cute that they that they're playing up Baby Yoda during his sort of the toddler phase now. Mm -hmm. And it's similar to, you know, what they did with the Marvel with, with Groot. I mean, Groot was more of a son of a bitch teenager as opposed to like a cute, oh, look, he said, don't take those eggs, you know. Mm -hmm. But as I'm watching the episode, I thought maybe, you know, oh, he's he's he knows something that he's going to protect these eggs because there was that whole like it's getting cold and and the frog lady needs to, you know, keep the eggs warm. I thought maybe it was just some weird little like he has this instinct or sorry he i keep calling baby yoda he you talked about like things that we want to you know that we may see come out in, in the rest of the season mm -hmm. i'm starting to be more and more convinced that we're going to find out baby yoda is a female yeah. and not a male so i, I, I oh. catch myself yeah. saying that's oh, baby yoda yeah. it's a baby yoda for now i like the toddler right. uh, i like the toddler approach i thought that was a funny yeah. bit so jeff jeff where do you think the where do you think it's going to go next this season? Or where would you like to see it go? Either or, whatever way you want to take it. Well, I didn't know that Sabine Ren was, was going to show up. And that's very cool because she's a great character from the Rebel series. I don't know how much you guys have gotten into I've that. I've watched them all, of course. Uh, yeah, they're and they're, they're great. And she's an awesome character in that. And so to actually see a live action Sabine Wren uh, is going to be is going to be dynamite. Um, and that'd be really cool. That would actually make up for, I don't, I don't mind. If they don't go back to Boba Fett that much, I always sort of thought he was a bit, the lore over Boba Fett is, uh, I mean, he really wasn't in the original movies that yeah. much. And so I, like, you know, Sabine Wren exists in the canon a lot more. She's had a lot more screen time. 
uh, the character's been a lot more developed. We don't really know anything about Boba Fett's character. It's the first time we've ever seen him without a helmet right. on. Um, and he, he's only, I think in the, in the entire first trilogy, he only spoke like three sentences or something like that. So, uh, so actually, I'm really intrigued by the Soul Sabine Ren thing. I think that could be very yeah, cool. I agree. I agree. With you. I think it's, uh, and it's, uh, it's, and Sasha Banks looks like she'll be playing that character too, which should be pretty rad. Pretty rad. She looks, he's I saw so- the cloak look of her, the face looked really good. There's something about women, the way they're portraying them now in the heroes field that is just like Cara Dune was 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 amazing in, in the first season. I thought she was great. And just the way they're portraying these women, uh, also when we discussed the boys, the way they were portrayed there, just so tough, right? Um, so it'd be, it'd be really cool to see, see this come to life. I think Sasha Banks is going to do a great job. He's no good to me dead. There, that's, a, <laughs> that's Boba Fett's there's his claim to fame, right? It, it, yeah. it, and when you talk about how Boba Fett became this uh, almost almost like a uh, I'm trying to think what a good character sort of example would be he I don't think Boba Fett really was expected to be as big as he was when Empire came and went because then when they did the 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 prequel sorry the uh, the uh, special editions in the 90s and they messed up Return of the Jedi and tried to make him like this ladies man uh, in, in the whole Jabba the Hutt palace scene. And like, he's like, like giving the guns. Like I, I thought that was when they really forced, you know, Boba Fett, it was not that big a deal. Uh, and then of course they brought him in, in the special edition of Star Wars when they redid the whole Jabba the Hutt right. scene and, and made him more a part of the trilogy than he really was. I think that was just a matter of, hey, this guy's hot. Let's, let's let's keep him. Let's keep it rolling. But sort of on the back end now, like you look at what's what has come out of it. Again, the Mandalorian, like we we talked about last time. I don't think Disney expected it to resonate as as well as it has. I think it was just like, ah, oh, we need content. Yeah, let's do something. Boba Fett was big. Let's, yeah, let's do something about the Mandalorians. Yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, John, yeah, you you take this. Go do something with it. And now all of a sudden, hey, it's it's a hot property again. Let's bring back Boba Fett, and you know, let's let's milk that train a little more. Boba, what, what do we call him? Boba, Boba, Boba Wan Kenobi, or Boba Wan Kenobi? The way you know why Boba Fett was so cool to most people because Darth Vader had him on speed dial. <laughs> all right so there's a whole shit ton of people that he probably he probably could have just you know got into a, you know the x-wing flew away mm-hmm. or tie fighter sorry flew away and was like I'm, I'm just i'm just gonna go get han i'm just gonna go get han i'm gonna put him back in the thing i'm gonna choke him out i'm gonna do his shit but he's like no, no, no. i got a guy hold on mm-hmm. and he calls him of all the people he knows he calls boba to go get that shit done someone called boba that's why Boba Fett's cool because yeah. the fucking most it was like a it was like a, it was like a, it was like a, an example that I had uh, backstage at a concert one time when Steven Seagal had a bodyguard I'm like <laughs> wait a minute if he needs a bodyguard that, I'm afraid of that guy not Steven Seagal right so, you know Steven Seagal's got three guns on him and that's a knife right. in his boot and but he's got a bodyguard yeah but the, I, mean, I don't know if you guys have when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't think I've touched on this before, but the uh, like the, the the stroke of genius in the whole Mandalorian thing is the child. It's Baby Yoda. No one really cared that much about the Mandalorian, even as a concept, I think. But everyone loves Yoda, and everyone's always loved Yoda. And that they were able to keep that under wraps. Yeah, that's amazing. We all knew there was a Mandalorian series coming up, but when that the big reveal of the the package he was picking up, when it was Baby Yoda, it was just like, of course, like that is the. If I was going to make a series, it would be about that. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be about the guy in the helmet. Yeah. It would be about this, this whatever Yoda is this junior version of it and just like like the marketing on it and all that stuff it's just insane it is. disney is going to do very well with the whole baby yoda property um and then which is good they need that right now with, with all their theme parks right and everything so they I, I was um the baby yoda too it's uh i thought that we should they we should have seen baby yoda movies instead of the new ones but that's a whole other conversation but uh, oh, you mean like the the well? Who knows these next set of three trilogy films that are apparently uh, in the hopper? And I think is it um, who's directing it? Is it actually who did the Last Jedi? I forget his name now. I'm blank. Ryan Johnson. Ryan no. Johnson is isn't he doing the next set of, like the next set of Star Wars films I'm not for sure. Disney? I thought- I thought there was something. So, I mean, maybe this, again, maybe the Mandalorian will influence that. That'd be cool. Influence the next. I think Ben Affleck should direct them. Anyways, there you go. Okay. So it's time for Mike. Can we hear a Wookiee? I can't do it now. There we go. Okay. This is, this is exciting because this is the first, the first uh, time segment of uh, that's my Wookiee where I'm going to put uh, Brent and Mike through the rigors here of some, uh, some Star Wars yeah. questions. This is going to be going on. Oh, hang on. So how about how we do this here? Yep. Let's get a little. You hear that? Beautiful. All right, a little music. I love that. it. Here I love go. it. That's my Wookie. Okay. Is this a point system? We're going to keep this going throughout the Mandalorian season. Okay. 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 So we're going to start off with easy questions. So, uh, Mike, would you like question one or two? I'll take two. Okay. Yaddle. Did she first appear in Phantom or Clones? Oh, I'm trying to think in the, uh, uh, wow. I'm trying to think of the Jedi council. Uh, I'm going to say it was in Phantom. You got it right. Yeah. Okay. All right. There you go. I'll take okay, question Brett, so you two. Get the others. So yeah. Okay. Um, Salacious uh, Crumb first appeared in Empire or Return? Uh, Return of the Jedi. Yep. You guys are okay. You're one to one. Good job. Good job. Okay, we're getting a little tougher now. Okay, Mike, one or two? I'll take two again. Okay. What is the name of the renegade Mandalorian group? Ah, uh, uh, epic fail here. Eh. Give me, give me an eh. Do I get to steal? Yeah, you can steal. Oh no, I, I mentioned it in a segment earlier. Let's see if Jeff can steal it. Oh, that's okay. I'm sorry, Jeff. Do you know? No, I know. Sorry. No, uh, no, I'm drawing a Okay, but Death Watch. Can I? Can I? Can I answer? Oh, you can. Was it Death Watch? Yes. Yeah, I thought. So. Yeah. <sighs> well, Jeff, was it too late? You're the judge. No. Did he get it? Oh, he he got okay, it. Mike, sure. you go. Okay, Absolutely. there you go. Okay, two to one. Two to one. Yeah, I did mention that one in in the earlier episode or in the early segment there. Okay, Brent, are you ready? Sure. Who damaged 
General Grievous's chest and gave him that cough <laughs> that George Lucas did. <laughs> oh, you're killing me now. And all the people listening are going to kill me. That's a hard uh, pass for me. Go ahead, Jeff. Steal the point. I assume it was a Jedi. And so I'm thinking maybe it was a Mace Oh, Windu? my gosh. Yeah, nice. good one. That's nice. it, buddy. Yeah, and that was in the uh, the uh, Clone Wars movie. Clone <sighs> Wars, yeah. He yeah. was just about to leave, and he crunched his. Yeah. All right. So, uh, okay. so Mike's winning two to one so far. All right. I thought it, I thought it was I, just you're vaping. You're in the lead. Jeff gets it. Jeff gets the point there. He's got popcorn. Jeff got the, Jeff got the bonus points for. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll have to have Jeff back on again and see if he can just kick both your butts out this game. Oh, I'm gonna get nailed <laughs> on this game. I'm, I'm terrible with names. Oh come <laughs> on. Okay. Well, there we go. It's two to one, and that was. Uh, that's my Wookie. That's my Wookie. All right. Thanks for the background music, Mike. Thank you. You're welcome. Good stuff. I I wanted to I wanted to go back because we earlier we talked about sort of my my background being voice stuff, and this episode there were two cameo voices that people may have recognized. See if you guys caught the caught who they were so uh the first one that we came across would have been uh zero as you remember from episode six of last season the robot which the the frog lady uses to talk to mando who's the who's that voice Uh, i watched a video on it too i can't remember i watched Uh, a video on it i uh i absolutely just saw that too on the on the computer too Uh, or like on the the voice that she used I just, I just saw it. I'm terrible with this shit. I can break down everything. Did he do a video and, game and, voice? Uh, no, he was on a a very famous British television show. Oh, good with the British. Show. Uh, that starred um, uh, Chris O'Dowd. No, no I'm not good no. with the British shows. All right, it was a show called The IT Crowd. And he played a character, Moss, Richard Aoide. Aoide. I always say his name wrong. Mm. Look him up. You got me on that one. Know? Really? Ah, I'm surprised. It, it, very distinct. Mm. Uh, and again, from episode six last season. Uh, also, the frog lady. This one, this one, somebody's got this. Oh, geez. And I watched this today, too. I, I, I looked at all this stuff. The master of monster voices and gurgly voices. Oh, it was Mark, Mark also, Hamill, wasn't it? No, who also has a tie into uh, the canon uh, as well, playing characters in Clone Wars. Oh, man. And Rebels. No? No. Nobody? Nobody? D. I, did, I know. D. Bradley, D. Bradley Baker. Oh, D. Bradley I Baker, know. who played the voice of Commander Rex, mm-hmm. as well as the clones. All the clones, right? And oh, that's uh, right. I believe... I believe D. Bradley Baker is also the fish in American Dad. He's he's uh, a really <laughs> well-known uh, animation uh, voice actor, oh, okay. and uh, yeah, he is he's well known for his ability to do crazy uh, alien voices and sounds and gurgles. Mm. And uh, it was it was very cool to sort of like, hey, I know that. Mm-hmm. So that again nerdy sort of nerdy I'm sure everyone's gonna want to get in on that on having like kevin smith was all stoked to be a stormtrooper mm-hmm. in uh um not the it was force awakens i think he was wasn't he force awakens 
Uh, no, he was in um, in the last one in Rise of Skywalker. But I thought he, I thought he was also in when uh, was when Han Solo and they were on uh, in the forest and uh, they were having that big oh. battle. I think he he was somebody there. But anyways, as we go, so that is the Mandalorian yeah. episode two, the passenger. Uh, final thoughts for everybody. Looking forward to the next one. <laughs> uh, for for an episode that some people called filler it seems like there was a lot a lot to to pull out of it and and again a, a, another sort of great uh a great 40 minutes of of screen of the star wars universe uh just a lot of love again and john favreau that's where he's he's hitting out of the park uh, is it's the love to you know the star wars fans and still bringing enough to the table to to bring in new to new fans and again, back to Jeff's point, Baby Yoda was like, that's that's the gift that just keeps on yeah. giving for Disney, especially with Christmas just around oh my the corner. Gosh. There's never a waste. Like Baby Yoda is his screen time is like it's like 100 percent on like there's never anything when he's on screen where you're not going, oh, wow, what's he doing over there? Like, he's always making a weird face or a funny expression. Like when I watch the guy fly up there and come back down and Baby Yoda's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that little kind Do of you look not like, fear a bit, though, that um, gold. That the, the the Disney of it will take over, and I mean this like from what I'm seeing from the standpoint of like after season one, everything was a meme. It was a baby Yoda meme, and now usually they do that when it dies down, right? Like when that like when when they're like, okay, it's hitting its height. Maybe that's when they'll step in and take it from Favreau. Um, I, I just think say, I think right? every I can't help but feel now just because of the over memeing of Baby Yoda that almost mm. every single scene that Baby Yoda is in is a potential meme and i think right. that they go and they go oh if we just position his head like this it'll be meme crazy and if we didn't mm -hmm. so that, that was just my fear of when i'm watching it now going oh that's a meme oh that's a meme oh he's eating an egg so interesting to see where it goes jeff what do you think that's fine <laughs> yeah no, I, I i i i believe the same thing i i think disney I think they they realized when they stepped in on Last Jedi, uh, Rise of Skywalker. I think they really understood the backlash uh, that they got. And I think there's I think there's definitely a little more sort of leash given to John Favreau for this, and credit to to John and, and the writing staff. Whereas I found that a lot of the the stuff in the in the sequel films, there were a lot of it got jokey and a lot of forced comedy. Whereas you go back and watch the original star Wars, there was some comedy, but it was, it was subtle and it wasn't sort of in your face over the top and, and hokey. I mean, looking back some of it, maybe now, but uh, I think we're not, I don't think we're going to get to that. I think the, the closest to hokey right now, and especially in this episode, I love Tracy Ullman. I, I think the, the character of Pelly is, is it's, it's a, it's a nice sort of like ice, breaker sort of like clint howard-esque character that sort of comes back and and likable but there was a lot of eh, cringeworthy stuff even when she's you know talking about the different species or you know when they were having the roast where uh the uh treadwell droid is <laughs> is cooking the uh cooking the meat underneath the uh the engine which is again disney smart guys if you've been to galaxy's edge at Disney uh, Disney World, they actually have the uh, Ronto's roast 
they have a, a spit of meat going underneath that same jet mm-hmm. sort of burning apparatus. So um, I don't think they're going to get too kiddie-esque um, or hokey in that sense. I, I really think that they 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 trust they trust trust John and and Filoni for uh, to do what they do. And I'm very curious to see how. I mean, last season we had all the the, the various directors. Uh, I'm looking forward to episode four, where uh, Carl Weathers is directing the episode, oh. which I'm sure will be a, a, a sort of centric episode. Like I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. I'm looking forward to. I love the way that again they're giving these opportunities to, you know, let them sort of take their vision of, of what they see and, and putting on the screen as opposed to just sort of one, one person all the time. And uh, yeah, I think Peyton Reed did a great job this week. I, I liked the episode. It may have been filler, but man, those spiders, it freaked the fuck out yeah. of me. Cause I hate spiders as it Alien is flashback. and ice spiders. It, that's, that's all I need. Hey Chris, that's can, all. Can I have my point back? I'm about to correct, correct Mike. So I want my point back. Oh, oh. <gasps> Tracy Allman. No, it's Amy yeah. Sedaris. Amy Sedaris. Oh, I thought it was Tracy Ullman. I was with Tracy Ullman at the O2 and she at this uh, this year. She didn't mention Ooh. anything about the Mandalorian. But it's Amy Sedaris. It's Amy Sedaris. Let's tie it up. Wow. Anyways, Damn, it's time that's... for a break of the kids on the Escalator podcast as we switch gears <laughs> to Eddie Van Halen. That is uh, episode two, The Passenger. Jeff Pierce, thanks for joining us for the conversation. Mike, congrats our good buddy along for the ride and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week on our review of Mandalorian episode three. We're going to take a little break right now and switch gears to Eddie Van Halen. Here we go. We're back on the uh, kids on the escalator podcast. Jeff Pierce is still here hanging out. Uh, Chris Machete hanging out and uh, it's time to switch gears from the Mandalorian to uh, a terrible story in music that happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, we thought we'd give it a, a I mean, we're just launching this, but um, we're a little bit behind as far as weeks go, but uh, we thought we would touch on the passing of Eddie Van Halen. I know what it meant to you, Chris. Uh, um, Jeff, yeah. sure, he had an influence on you uh, and what influenced us in, uh, in our own ways. So um, let's dive into Eddie Van Halen. So Chris, uh, I think, I just want you to tell the story of, of Eddie Van Halen to you. Well, he's just not only my favorite guitar player. Um, he's my favorite musician. I, I love the way he made, uh, well, I don't know if he made David Lee Roth, but he wanted the vocals to go against the guitar playing and he made it work. He created so many styles, you know, um, finger tapping being one of them, but just his, everything about Eddie, I thought was cool. He's like my favorite musician. So it's hard to put into words, what somebody like that does for you as a musician. Um, it gives you freedom. It gives you inspiration. It gives you something to put on your wall because the guy just looks so damn cool with that cigarette in his mouth or in the end of his guitar playing. Um, his guitars that he made with the stripes, there's, I just, it was just one of those, those guys in my life musically who just meant the world to me. And uh, it, was, it was a really tough thing because I hate it when you lose somebody that's really famous because you get a lot of people that just jump on board you know what I mean? Oh, Eddie Van Halen. I loved Eddie Van Halen. You know, I used to listen to like, you know, you girl, you really got me now over and over again, or, you know, um, so I didn't really do too much online about it, but it's nice to be able to talk about it here and share stories uh, with fellow musicians on this kind of thing. But yeah, he, he meant guitar playing wise. I was always, I always told my students 
that I taught guitar is I'll teach you how to play Van Halen, but you're not going to sound like Eddie Van Halen. You know, you can't, I can't do that. You know what I mean? The way he um, harnessed distortion with volume. Um, apparently his guitar was akin to a bucking Bronco or so much off the beginning, but before, you know, at the beginning when he first got his Brown sound going and everything, um, apparently it was like a bucking Bronco just screaming all the time. And he had control over that thing and he made it sound, uh, like gold, you know, like, like Jimi Hendrix kind of back in the day would string upside down guitar and whammy it without a lock nut on there and keep it in tune or put it back in tune or bend it. Eddie had that same kind of thing going on, but he would build his guitars and he would build his sound. Um, yeah, I don't know much more. Eddie, rad dude. Cheers to Eddie. Um, I'd, I'd like to hear what Jeff has to say about Eddie as well, for sure. Yeah, you know, so Van Halen, uh, they were, as a band, they were around for as long as um, uh, there's, you know, there's never a time when Van Halen didn't exist for me, really. They, uh, although it's funny because they, you know, the first album came out in 1978. I was 11. I was heavily into my carpenters and ABBA phase at the time and then when I got to high school Van Halen was kind of it was relegated to the that was like the that was the music that you heard in the smoking area mm-hmm. <laughs> of, the, of the high schools and uh so you know women and children first fair warning all that kind of stuff when they got um uh you know, those, those were real guitar records for me the, the moment of realization I knew that he was an amazing guitar player but, but there were so many uh imitators that came out immediately after after Van Halen won um that you kind of forgot that a little bit you know because right after him Randy Rhodes came along and a bunch of other people came along who were sort of who tapped into the whole finger tapping thing um I think his strongest thing for me was his songwriting uh, and he he would throw away stuff that other bands could build careers over so so I'm gonna ramble for for a second mm-hmm. you know fair warning women and children for, first Diver Down, um, you know, much more of a pop album with uh, with um, uh, the Dancing in the Street cover and all that sort of stuff. And then 1984. So with the big pop song, Jump, all that kind of thing. Uh, there's a lot of hard rock going on in that period of time. I was in high school from 1980 to 1985. So that was hard rock time. That was Def Leppard. It was ACDC. It was, there was tons of great stuff that was going on. 84, 1984 came out and Jump came as the first single and it was like, okay, here's a great pop song. They're introducing keyboards now. But for me, the eye-opening moment was Panama. That mm-hmm. song for me is the, it's one of the best songs ever written. And you can, if you sort of think through the song, uh, like, I wish we could actually play it, but it's like the, the mm-hmm. it begins with the, with the, but the bang, 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 killer riff, and yeah. go, killer riff, killer riff, plays it, and then into the those that part of the song it never gets repeated. It it's just it's an intro all to itself. There are a lesser band could build a career on just that sixteen bars of music, but right. in Panama it's just the intro. It's left alone and never comes back. I uh, I remember actually when I was a kid. Uh, like when that song came out, I made a remix of Panama just using two cassette decks next to each other because I wanted that part to come back in the song and again in the middle of it. And so I I, I, awesome. I, I cut that back in, <laughs> in the thing, but they didn't have to. He knew it was great. He knew the whole rest of the song was great. And then so then, then I gets into the main riff, the bang, 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 well, yeah, which, you know, any other band would have started the song at that point, And that would have been fine. The song would have still been a great song. 
the song goes on, amazing song. And then you get to the bridge and the bridge is like, ah, oh, it's just, it gets so cool. It turns into a totally different song. The, the, that whole thing that's going on there. It's a, that song is a symphony. And then after the, you know, reach down, use the seat back, it goes into the chromatic run. She's running, running, running. Like it's, it's, it's ballsy to do a chromatic run where they're just going up one fret at a time. So they hit the final like Panama thing. And anyway, I remember just sort of that, that song, it turned me into a Van Halen fan. And at that point I went back, bought Van Halen one, bought Van Halen two. Uh, I was long for the ride through the entire um, Sammy Hagar period of the, of the band as well. Um, I remember being blown away by uh, finish what you started. Remember that song the finger licking mm-hmm. song. And again, thinking, wow, like he, here's a guy now who's like, He's a hard rock guitar player. It's a pop hard rock band. And he's written this amazing song with this great, uh, almost like country jazz picking going on with it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he's just, it's someone I always admired. I always admired. He evolved all the time. He's always evolving, eh, Jeff? Always evolving, yeah. And actually, we're not even talking about the studio stuff too. He did a lot for, um, for what music could be done in the studio. He was a great sort of studio innovator as well. And, um, uh, you know, I love the, uh, uh, he, uh, he, the keyboard stuff that he brought into the mix. No one was expecting that. I don't think for the first time you heard it I'll right wait. now, just, right now, that was a great, amazing piano part. right now. Just, uh, yeah. Totally. And that's if, you know, going between the two, but just even back in like the, the Roth phase of being able to bring that in when you had this heavy rock band that brought keys into the forefront. It's like, wait, I thought Eddie Van Halen was a, was a guitar player. <laughs> and then you have all these keys out of nowhere and all these new sounds, which were amazing. And then into, I think it lent itself um, to the Hagar era a little bit more from the standpoint of like, I think Sammy could probably spin, um, spin a hook a little bit better than Dave when it came to the bigger picture of the, of the, didn't have the big anthem rock songs that, that, that Roth did, but Hager's kind of writing style, I think, to, to, uh, to Eddie's keys and some of the stuff that he was bringing into your point, Jeff, about being such a studio musician and stuff. I, I think that um, it's kind of one of those rare cases where you've got two front men doing completely different things, but um, in almost two sounding, two different completely sounding bands with obviously we know about the two fans and the fight between Van Hagar and Roth and all that stuff. Um, but I mean, have you seen, I haven't seen too many bands. Be able Another to that thing that's really amazing is the, uh, something that popped up on my Facebook feed after, after he passed away was the footage of him playing with the Saturday Night Live band. Um, sorry, no, it was the David Letterman band. Uh, he sat in, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and Saturday night. Uh, and Saturday night. That's right. Like there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole song that he wrote in the stomping in room after whatever it was. But I was watching him play an acoustic version, or not, sorry, not acoustic, instrumental version of Panama with, with Paul Schaefer and that kind of thing. And the thing that occurred to me was just how generous he would be. That he's got this amazing song, he's got this amazing thing, and he's more than happy to have these guys are just like they're they're clamming all over the place. They're, you know, they're just like, oh my god, oh my god, it's Eddie. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Paul Shaver's like playing all these like keyboard things in there. And that sort of just shows a real love for music and musicians and and yeah. performing. That he's not he wasn't being precious about it. It wasn't he wasn't being like, I'm only gonna play my song if we do it this way, and blah, blah, blah. 
it was just like, these guys want to play with me. I want to play with them. We're going to jam this song out. It's going to be great. And, and it was. That's a great point. That's a really good point. Cause I, I'm sorry. I, I, I love that in, uh, in any musician that whole just willing to jam. I love it. Somebody at his level. Now nah, let's play the song, man. Like, you know, that, that is amazing. That's a great point. And uh, I never thought of that. It didn't hurt that. Uh, it didn't hurt that Schaefer had Anton Fig on drums nice either. <laughs> Added to the mix. The, um, the, uh, uh, on Saturday Night Live story too, Jeff, to that point, oh, well, yeah, he was yeah. hosting and he, and he was just sitting around and he's, and he's like, he's just sitting around and G Smith's like, why don't you come in here and hang out? Because, all the actors are out yeah. there doing their thing. We're in here doing ours. And that was, he had to hang out for the week. So he hung out with the musicians and they're like, why don't you come up and jam? Sure, yeah. And That's and great. That was just he just loved playing, man. Like I can't picture him without his guitar him. in his hand. Very cool. Oh, Chris, geez. Was it was, uh, it was running with the devil. I bought the album. I didn't even, I was, I, I was, uh, man, I was maybe nine years old. I was, I listened to kiss, listened to a lot of queen and then the next natural progression was that album cover, you know, Van Halen one. And I remember the just that horn, that boom, boom, boom. I was like, wow, this is, you know, it it had the uh, the uh, aggression that Kiss had, um, but it had a little more uh, hip hipness to it, a little more swing to it, right? Because at that point, I'd listened to Kiss heavily, um, and Queen were my two main bands. Um, cheap trick a little bit, but more uh, Kiss and Queen, and then Van Halen kind of sitting my nice little my nice nice little trio uh, trio trio bands really well. So that's the thing about Van Halen is that they they as a band, uh, despite the fact that they were a hard rock band, they never seemed to take themselves too seriously, and mm. and you you got that with the the background vocals were always whimsical and fun and just great harmonies, and the way they presented themselves on stage and and in videos was always there was a, they weren't taking the piss and it wasn't that they were not serious about the craft that they were doing, but they never seemed to, uh, there was nothing, there was always a bit, they always knew that they were lucky to be playing in a rock band and they were happy to show that they were having the time of their lives doing it. Mm -hmm. There was nothing, nothing dark about Van Halen. No, that's true. Right. I like that. I love that about them as well. Jeff. No. Jeff, Morris did Morris ever play with Van Halen? We were uh, briefly managed by, or not, well, we were, we were, their manager expressed interest in managing us uh, for a while back in around 1995, 1996. But um, I just spoke to uh, Rain Mater earlier from Our Lady Peace and who wanted to weigh in on this. I told him we were going to have this chat and he was, tell, he told a story, um, which I'll play in here, but um, as we take a break, but he, um, told the story about being on tour over 55 shows of Van Halen. And uh, they were like, well, I don't know if we should do that. Like, you know, we should do it, but it's, you know, it's a big party band and, and, and whatever. Oh. And um, Sammy kept trying to get them kicked off the tour and, and Eddie and Alex the Canadians were like, no, nope, you're not going anywhere. And, and Eddie, Eddie was all about to keep an OLP on there, which, yeah. which made them, you know, it made it a better live band. So I'll play that clip uh, in this story. But um, yeah, very interesting, his connection uh, to that. And then just, it seems now you hear all these amazing stories about Eddie, which you heard anyways, but now definitely yeah. like Gene, Gene Simmons has a million things to say now about Eddie. What a loss. Right? He was apparently discovered them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that sucks, loss. man. 
but he's got lots of great music to jam to and listen to and everything, you know. At least, and at least Eddie Vedder's still alive. Yeah. And Eddie Vedder's still alive. They are only rumors. (laughs) We accidentally almost started at the beginning of this show. Uh, (laughs) Almost at the beginning. Yeah, but yeah, tell man, us what's we have going a, on with you and so Moist it's, it's and everybody. Extremely exciting time for us. We were awesome. uh, we uh, um, at the beginning of the year we had uh, this incredible uh, tour booked for the for the summer uh, arena tour with with three other Canadian bands of the same uh, vintage, and so we we were sort of we we knew we needed to get a new record us. So we we did a bunch of fierce writing and came up with ten songs that I think are the best the best 10 song package that we've, we've ever put out. And we went into the studio and, and uh, we recorded them in, in early March. <laughs> and as we were in the studio doing the last day of tracking, the world shut down. You and, ca- somebody uh, caused Corona and shut everybody's door. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That thing. was, that was so, timing. Hey, eh, Jeff, Holy cow, well, buddy. I remember March break. And then, yeah. Whoop. So a good thing about it is that we managed to get the bed tracks done and we all have uh, technology in our, in our, we all have technology in our little rooms. And so yeah. uh, we were able to actually finish the record without, we haven't seen each other now since, since March 11th uh, or 15th, but we've managed to make, we've finished making the record and now it's just finding uh, the record company obviously would like to hold on to the record until we can actually get out there into the world and uh, support it and uh yeah. so we're we're hoping to be we're hoping to actually have the first single drop in in january uh, uh with nice. a for a long long lead up to have the record out in time for the tour which will hopefully be uh you know it's being rescheduled maybe in, i can't i can't speak exactly when it's going to be but that's tough huh yeah but you know what we're we're uh there's a lot of people who are <laughs> in much worse shape than we are at least we're at least we're all uh, uh oh, well you're being you're being very kind though jeff because that was bad timing for you guys right like it's like okay we're about to well no we're not <laughs> it was but you know what we, bad, bad timing for us but we are we were we're we're in the dessert phase we're in the second helping of dessert phase of our of our career right now we've already been lucky enough to have been able to do this for a long time i feel really bad for the bands that are just starting out it would be a real right? drag yeah. uh and i feel bad for you know not, you know we also we also had enough time away from the band that we all have other careers going as well that have been able to keep us employed and busy and, and, and supporting ourselves. Um, I feel terrible for the, uh, for the tour personnel. I feel terrible for the venues. I feel terrible for all the, all the, the many, many periphery people who work in the music industry, who are, uh, who are not getting by. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, kudos to you for uh, continuing to uh, yeah, fly buddy. that Canadian CanCon flag, though, my friend, and getting it out there. Because eventually, when the world comes back, we all go back to work, and then it's going to be music overload. And uh, so, take this time and enjoy it, because uh, you're yeah. about to get real busy. Maybe by the end of next year, <laughs> it's going to get a little bit, little, a little bit nuts. So, yeah, buddy, awesome, Thanks, man. Jeff, Thanks, really Jeff, for joining man. us this week. Uh, the show we'll love to have you back down love to have you back down the road and all the best to you for uh all the best to you for the rest of uh, 2020 thanks brent thanks chris thank you both yeah see you guys later bye-bye look forward to hearing the podcast bye-bye thanks <laughs>
do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.